HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Dye Green. I'm Max Sussman. And I'm Kate McCabe. Our guests on today's show are Tommy McLarnon and Shannon Smith from the Save the Boyne campaign. The Save the Boyne campaign, who our two guests are a very important part of, are working to preserve the environmental health of the Boyne River, and in particular to fight against the recent decision to allow the Dawn Meats Company to pump up to 400,000 liters of wastewater into the Boyne River. So the River Boyne is a pretty important river in Ireland, both mythologically and historically. There's a mythological origin story attached to the River Boyne involving uh, the goddess Boan, um, whom the river itself and the Boyne Valley, where the river is located, are named after. And it's also uh, well known for being the place where the salmon of knowledge ate the magic hazelnuts, um, thereby gaining the wisdom of the world. So it's important um, from a mythological background. And then also some Irish history buffs might also know that the Battle of the Boyne between William of Orange and King James was fought on the banks of the Boyne River there. Um, You know, we are really interested in speaking to Tommy and Shannon about their campaign to save the Boyne because we ourselves have spent a lot of time in the Boyne Valley and it's one of our favorite places in Ireland. And it's really interesting to us um, from an environmental perspective and also from a tourism perspective because Ireland's two biggest industries are tourism and agriculture. And yet here you have um, Dawn Meats, which is a meat meat processing plant. Um, You could also call it a slaughterhouse or an abattoir. Um, that has received a permit from the Meath County Council to build a pipeline from their meat processing plant to the Boyne River to dump treated wastewater up to 400,000 liters per day. Save the Boyne campaign is working to highlight what is special about the Boyne River and also what is this really harmful decision. It's going to affect 
the biodiversity of the river. It's going to affect tourism. It's going to affect just folks that live there in, in a lot of ne- really negative ways. And there, so we talk about th- that issue and also what they're doing to fight against it and mobilize the community. And I was personally really kind of shocked to hear about what's happening with this campaign and to hear that permission is being granted to dump 400,000 liters of wastewater a day into the Boyne River. The river system in Ireland has been steadily degraded over the course of many, many years, even through um, industrial processes and development and just all the agricultural runoff. Yeah, just everything that happened in the 20th century has really diminished the biodiversity and health of the rivers. And, you know, I think we like to think that you know, we've, we're, we're at least not polluting more. If anything, we're doing more remediation and increasing the health of the river. So I, like I said, I was really surprised to hear that this is even like happening and that it's even an issue that people have to, that people have to um, be fighting against. Um, but it is. So that's what the interview is about. It, it kind of also just begs the question, like, what is it exactly that we're doing here if we are building a meat processing plant that is generating tons of wastewater and pumping it into a into a river you know it really begs a question what are we doing here and why and isn't there a better way that we could maintain a sustainable level of beef production and not contribute to the decimation of the environment. Whether you live in the community or you're traveling there as a tourist, who will want to swim in the river when they know that slaughterhouse effluent is being pumped into it every single day? Would you want to would you want to bathe in there? Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> and I think that um just along the lines of what you're saying, one of the most interesting most interesting little fun facts from the interview was that um actually The Save the Boyne Coalition actually includes many of the cattle ranchers that are actually send their animals to Dawn Meats to have their animals processed. They uh, use the land along the river to raise their cows, and even they are opposed to this plan. So in answer to your question, you know, is there a more sustainable way to do this? Like, yeah, there totally obviously is. Um, And... uh, well, we got a lot of other interviews about that, so you know you can listen to our back catalog to hear more. One of the interviews I think is really super relevant is the one we did recently with Brendan Dunford. We talk a lot about what it w- what it means and how to increase sustainability and biodiversity, and have farmers like basically be leading the way to do that. One really cool thing that came out of this conversation, which I personally would like to explore a little bit deeper on shows in the future, is some of the organizations that came together to both form and support Save the Save the Boyne campaign include uh, a group called Women of the Water and the National Fairy Council of Ireland. So I am both really excited to learn more about those groups and also to, you know, perhaps get more involved. What could be cooler than a National Fairy Council? You tell me. I have no idea. I can't think of anything. One last thing before we just get right into it. A lot of the episodes of Dyed Green are more um, topical and like we just chat with people, but this is one of the few episodes where the issue that we're talking about is very time sensitive. Not only is it very time sensitive, but there are actually a lot of things that you as the listener can actually do to impact 
the decision and to take action and get involved in what's happening. So please stick around to the end of the show where the guests talk a lot about ways that you can get involved, ways that you can take action, and also check the show notes because we'll put all the links in there so that you can actually make your voice heard. And absolutely share this episode far and wide. All right. Enjoy the show. Tommy and Shannon, thank you so much for coming on on Dyed Green. We're really excited to talk to you both today. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. We were thinking that to start off, you could each introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved with the Save the Boyne project. I live um, beside the River Boyne. And um, I suppose my, my background is, I, I, I'm not kinda, I've no kind of environmental background or anything like that. I live beside the river. And it's just over there beside, yeah, it's just at the front of my house. So yeah, the River Boyne, um, there's a there's a meat processing company just up the road um, from where I live. It's it's like seven kilometers, seven kilometers away, but six miles. And the, they've put a proposal in. Um, I was walking up the road. I seen a site notice saying Dawn Meats, which is the meat processing plant, um, wanted to run pipe from their plant down through over seven kilometers of road and discharge discharge into the river point so i was talking to neighbors about it and we started i just started a facebook group for like about maybe 10 people in the locality and um yeah within a short it's over nine thousand people in in the facebook group now um we have grown um from a food group thanks to Shannon and Janine and Moggs and the Women of the Water group and the Ferry Council of Ireland, um, they got involved and they kind of really changed the whole campaign for for me and for us. And um, yeah, yeah, it's been it's just been amazing the support that they have given us. Yeah, there's a there's a, a lot of community support. Um, the river's a very important piece of our life, a very important part of our culture and our heritage and our folklore. And I, I, I suppose one of the things about it too is that since COVID and some people started connecting again with nature and appreciate nature and going out for walks, you know, so like there's been a lot of kind of activity around the water people kind of find nature again so yeah we put it up in facebook and then we started working up on objections and as i said the women of the water came in and helped us and the national ferry i can't believe i'm talking about the national ferry council of ireland our women of it. the water i, I never heard, i haven't heard of these i can't people. wait to hear more about that they're they feel amazing absolutely amazing and and i think that's the thing about it is that you know, when you look at the Facebook page and you look at the data on it, the majority of the members on it are women. Do you know what I mean? Like it's over 60% women who, who are kind of members of the Save the Boyne group on Facebook. And the majority of the, well, actually, I, I, I think I'm probably, no, there's two, there's another guy, there's another guy, but the majority of the people behind it are actually women who are the driving force and who are passionate and who are the environmentalists, you know, they're the ones that's doing all the real hard work. 
behind the scenes for you know so it's been a great learning experience <laughs> so that no where we are now is um i suppose meath county council has um approved for this pipe to go in it's going to pump in 400,000, at least 400,000 litres of treated effluent per day into the River Boyne. Um, we reckon that's the minimum target, 400,000 litres a day. The said is going to be treated. It's going to be it's going to be cleaner than the water that's in the Boyne. You know, of course, of course, they're going to say that, you know, but like, you know, they've tried to give us all these um, assurances about how clean this water is actually going to be. And I'm kind of going, well, could you not actually put it in bottles and leave it in the boardroom? Do you know, like, it, it, you know, could you not recycle it within the plant and reuse it to flush the toilets and do power hose and like, do you know, but they're trying to, it's kind of, and I was talking to Sean about this. They seem to be kind of, their argument is the science of how good this affluent is going to be treated, you know, and trying to reassure us that, oh, this water is going to be at such a standard that it's going to be like, you, you could drink it, you know, and I, I, I'm not sure if that's the way the argument should be going because it, it, there's much more to it than that, like the River Boyne and like we've got 70,000 people who depend on their drinking water in Drada from the River Boyne. Do you know, that's not cutting about adversity in the wildlife and, you know, the human activity on the water as well. So like, yeah. Well, before we get like, too far into the, issue of the plants and stuff. Shannon, could you also just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved? Sure, sure. I'll just start off by saying Tommy's being very modest. <laughs> he, uh, you know, we're all here because of, of him. We're here because, uh, because of Tommy being, you know, right there with the river herself and being completely dedicated to protecting and taking care of her and being uh, sort of courageous enough and willing to be that first voice to kind of say, you know, we need to do something about this. We have to respond. I'm born stateside and I've been here most of the last four years uh, in and out. And I come from a background in dance and in environmental justice and working with First Nations uh, in the Americas. So I have a big mixture of a background, but my, my love is water. And um, so that's sort of shown up in working with other movements like global water dances and other kinds of places where arts and ecology and activism meet. Um, so this was something that just sort of, I don't even remember how I found out about it, but it was a year ago when they first started the process and there was a period uh, of observations welcome or objections welcome to submit to Meath County Council, which is sort of the first line, you know, that's the, the first development application goes in on the county level. The public is allowed to uh, make objections. And as, as Tommy said, there were 400 objections that people wrote and took the time to thoughtfully research um, and bring forth good arguments um, as to why this wasn't a good idea on all of the different levels. And um, I had founded, I, I'm the founder of Women of the Water, which Tommy mentioned. And one of our other uh, founding members, Sarai Humble, is the founder of the Fairy Council of Ireland. And she has created um, 
she's created a network uh, around the country of people working to restore traditions from, from different points of view, from working with the forest, working with the waters, working with the heritage and bringing stories forward. And so, um, so we had sort of teamed up on some projects around well cleanups. We did a restoration project at Ishnok at Bridget's Well there. And that was kind of how she and I came together. And when we all kind of copped on to what was going on with this project and realized um, it wasn't over yet. <laughs> uh, we had done those 400 objections. We turned in letters and uh, Meath County Council asked for more information from, the, the, from Don Meats. It took them a year to turn in that additional information. And then we had five weeks to go. We had to just organize. So um, as Tommy said, a number of the women that were felt close to the river um, from all over the country, artists, well tenders, water carriers, song line keepers, uh, but people who held different parts of the heritage all kind of came together on a call and said, what are we gonna do? <laughs> How are we gonna support this? So um, we really rallied to get things into the newspaper, to get press releases out, to engage the community. We organized uh, a cleanup day at the river and handed out the flyers. And what we really noticed was that the, the local community really didn't know that this was going on. They thought that it was a done deal. And so the powers that be, I suppose, I don't like to be too fatalistic, but it seemed like they'd done a pretty good job of making sure that there wasn't going to be too much pushback in this second round of objection. And um, so we we just, we came together, we did a river cleanup, we, we promoted the issue all around the island, and the artists came together and made a film uh, with Siobhan Dupour, who's a wonderful Irish uh, poet, and we made a short film project at the river, and that went out um, to bring more support in. So, yeah, so that's how I kind of came in, uh, was in this process of, of rallying the artists and the people who really tend the waters here in Ireland um, to engage wholeheartedly around the river, because it's not just about, you know, while it's important, you know, what Tommy, Tommy's the, you know, he's the guiding light and those those local folks need to be engaged, but they weren't being engaged. And so we really just wanted to bring a lot of public support um, and to increase the communications campaign uh, to draw attention to the process. I'm wondering if, if for our American listeners who um, maybe won't be that familiar with the River Boyne and its significance, I'm wondering if one of you could talk a little bit about the mythological connection uh, Sharon, you, you know the story of uh, and Bone probably better than I do about the the, the goddess of the point, but um, the, the the river point throughout history, it's embedded in our culture. Like um, through like we have like the the salmon of knowledge actually came from the point. Do you know we have the 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 bone, the river. Do you know? Back in mythology, is from it's from the goddess Bone, and that's where it sprung from. Um, from the well in Kildare. We have Newgrange, which is over three thousand years old. We have the Hill of Tara in the Boyne Valley, is where the High Kings of Ireland sit. Um, we have got North, we've got North, we've got burial chambers. Um, right along the Boyne, like um. And any work along the point has to have an archaeological survey first because it's so rich in heritage and um, culture that you know you, it, it's very hard to get any work done along the point or uh, you know if you're if you're doing any digging and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, we and also there was the famous battle of the point between um, King William and King James, which kind of I suppose defend it defend you know British Irish relations, it defend um, pro- pro- probably Europe. It had a big effect through Europe, where the the Protestant King William defeated the Catholic King, King James. That was on the point as well. Um, the river even like like from the kind of. We we have all 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 the history and all the mythology, and the river plays an important part in people's lives on a daily basis as well. But it's very much steeped in history, you know. And um, we we have a lot of we've we've a lot of attachment, you know. Um, Irish people kind of get very attached to kind of. They're, they're, they're the nature and the rivers and the waters and the mountains, you know. So the river Boyne plays a very important part in people's lives and our history. Um, is, Shannon, do you want to say anything about it, what you've kind of seen from you've came over? Yeah, I'd love to, especially, you know, saying I know there's a, a large American audience here. And, and I'd say that Newgrange would probably be the thing that they would most Americans would have some knowledge that Newgrange exists. You know, we have this tomb, passage tomb here that so many tourists come over and so many Americans of Irish descent, that would be one of their, you know, one of the first places that they would go um, to really kind of embrace their heritage. I think for a lot of um, a lot of Americans of Irish descent, it's new news to think that we have a culture and a history that's connected to something as old as that. I mean, I remember coming over for the first time and going there and, you know, hearing this is actually 500 years older than the pyramids at Giza. And I was shocked because no one had ever told me that I had history like that, that I could connect into. And so for me, it was quite revelatory um, on a lot of different levels. And um, and that the Bruna Boyne is, the, you know, that bend in the river um, that does, as Tommy said, it's Newgrange, Nouth and Douth, which are two other sites, which have are at different levels of excavation, um, but can all be visited. And that was de- designated as a World Heritage Site in uh, 1993, I think. So that really is, um, that kind of designation is very difficult to get. Um, it takes a long time to, to have approval for. And when you take responsibility for something of, of that stature, you know, they, they kind of designate it as something of outstanding universal value. It is a site that is significant to the entire world population because of the amount of knowledge and history and information contained within it. So our responsibility to protect it is, is very high. Um, and I would say, I would say on that mythological piece, you have several threads going through. I won't go into all of them, but the biodiversity part, which we're trying to protect as the Boyne is a special area of conservation. Um, it has a lot to do with protecting species like, like the otters, um, like the salmon. Uh, the salmon are certainly a huge part of our, our cultural heritage and not just ours, but also connects us with other indigenous peoples on Turtle Island as well. We have shared stories like this, the salmon of knowledge, um, but also the whopper swans, which are a protected species, are a huge part of, of Irish heritage and symbolism, the, the, the swans themselves uh, and the kingfisher. Um, so you have all of these different species that are connected to different uh, myths and stories of the people. And Boan herself, you know, this white cow goddess, um, 
you know, she's she's represents the country's fertility. She's connected to the bardic traditions on poetry. Um, she is um, fertility. Obviously, is the main point. The white cow, the 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 mother, the energy of the mother, and her story, which is very similar to the story of Shannon, is one that gets told again and again through these myths, and which is very connected to the feminine. That the the woman goes, you know, she she defies her husband, and she she goes to the the well of knowledge, and she walks counterclockwise three times. She goes against uh, against the current, and it supposedly angers um, the spirits there, and so she's torn limb from limb as she's devoured into the well and the, the river springs forth. But um, I think we're starting to understand as we retell our stories, that this is really about, um, it is really about coming with good heart, coming for that knowledge. And it's actually a gift. She became, she became the goddess of the river. She received the knowledge. And so that's also part of our, our stories to tend. Yeah, you know, I wanted to say a couple of things that you made me think of. One, you know, with Boan being the cow goddess, I think there's like a certain type of bitter irony there that it would be the cow effluent that you're talking about preventing from the river. But I wanted to mention that I had listened to um, Abarta Heritage has a series of, I think, five podcast episodes that are about Newgrange and the origins of Newgrange. And one of them, there was a professor, I think his name is O'Sullivan, who was talking about why ancient Celtic people decided to put Newgrange where they put it. And he suggested that it might be that it was the river itself that was of spiritual importance. So, you know, we talk, we do talk about the, about the tomb for obvious reasons, but that perhaps people made pilgrimages to that specific place because it was the river that, that they were actually there to, to, to pray to or near. So I, I think that's a really significant part of the the puzzle when you when you start to think about how the river is regarded today it is and like even today there's just a, there is that beautiful energy off the water and it's a very i find it a very spiritual place to be do you know um down by the water and walking by the water and you know and shannon's been over as well and it, it's quite it's quite a special it is quite a special place and, and you can actually feel it. You can feel it in your body and you can, you feel it in your soul. It's just, it, it, you, you know, you're, you're kind of insignificant when you're starting there, when you think of the history and the spiritualism and the, you can feel that energy coming from it. It's just, I, 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 when you tell that story about, it's about the river, you know, and Ukraine, that's why it was built there. I, I can believe that and I can feel that. And, and that's, just, that's just a beautiful thing to hear. I can identify with it. I think, um, I think you, one of you mentioned this, but, uh, you know, as maybe being, as during the time of COVID, as being an opportunity for people to have some time to reconnect uh, with nature and being outside. If anyone, if you want to elaborate on that, or maybe talk about what is what are some of the other motivations that are animating the community support of the of the campaign to oppose the plant what what's changed recently that is is inspiring people to be more active on that what 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 i noticed um when the facebook page started up is a, a lot of the posts were people 
putting their memories up off the point. Like I remember my dad used to take me a walk for the point. I remember my granddad taught me to fish on the point. And you had all these, when you go back in the Facebook page, even to start off, you had all these wonderful stories, you know, from people's childhoods and memories and people who were kind of reliving. I think they were starting to, you know, realize the significance of the water and of the point when they were starting to tell their childhood stories on it. And then people started sharing their childhood stories and their memories and, you know, from their childhood. And, and there was a real sense, at the start of it, there was that real sense of kind of people talking about it. And then that shifted. There was a, a kind of shift in it because then people were saying, well, what are we going to be leaving for the future, what are we going to be leaving our kids? Do you know what I mean? Is these the memories going? Will people no, be no longer be able to swim in the point? No longer able to fish in the point? Would you let your kids swim in the point if you knew 400,000 litres of waste, treated waste, right, is being pumped into it? So you had that kind of local connections and that stories. And then um, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Christy Moore, the singer. Christy Moore. He's a famous Irish folk singer, but he actually lived in the house next door here. His mother was born there, and then um, the Furies and stuff. There's there's a lot of kind of cultural stuff around the point. Like it's it's in our music and it's in our songs and it's in our storytelling. So you had those people starting to come along and kind of raise the awareness. So it kind of grew, I think, from one of nostalgia of being nostalgic. To one of banger, do you know? Um, what What do you think, Shannon? You kind of yeah. No, it's funny because I'm just thinking about we had you know we had a, a moment when we realized how big the group had gotten. I mean, I think it, when it was around 8,500, and it's grown even more since then. And you were kind of saying, well, who's in? Who's here? You know, who who is here? What groups are you representing? You know, what? how are you using the river? And we had a hundred comments <laughs> of people kind of chiming in saying, oh, I'm from, you know, I'm from this kayak group or I'm from this bird watching group or I'm from this walking organization or I, you know, I help facilitate tours, you know, of, of for tourists that come over and we, we center our tours around the river and people started to kind of, yeah, chime in on all the different ways that people come to the river to appreciate it. So that, so that may be a little bit less in the esoteric zone and a little bit, you know, a little bit more in just a very sort of people. I do think people though, they come, they come to kayaks, they come to walk, they come to be an appreciation of nature. They come to swim in some of the swimming holes. Um, but they, without fancy language about it, they know that it shifts them to be with the water. They know that they feel that sense of peace, that sense of connection. And there's talk of putting in a greenway. There's all these other, you know, intentions to build out people's ability to have access to the river. So why would you do this? Why would you propose such an insane thing? You know, like she said, why would you have the, the irony of this slaughterhouse waste going into this um, extraordinary heritage and natural natural site that people value so so very much. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. 
Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes, educates, and empowers. I spent seven years working in the restaurant and bar industry in front of house and back of house. And I just feel like Heritage Radio Network's content helps me feel so well connected to the other creators and chefs and restaurateurs and all the amazing things that they're doing. I still feel like I get to be a part of the kind of in team. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member today. We thank you for your support. I'm curious, do you have any local political support or support from either in politicians in the area or from further afield? Yeah, we do. We have had um, Louth County Council, our, our supporters, it's like we have County Meath and then County Louth is the next county. So we had Louth County Council actually putting an objection in the Meath County Council to, 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 stop, to, to stop it going ahead. Um, yeah, it's been debated. It, you know, we've had several political parties, like we've had Finn Gale, Fianna Falls, Sinn Féin, Ian Too, the Labour Party. You, like we've, I think that's what, like, we don't want it to become political or apolitical as in, you know, party political. We we want to keep it and focused. It's about the water. It's not about anything else. It's about the river. And so we do have politicians from, you know, from from the left to the right, all supporters and all coming out and, and we have their back. And, and it's been great um, to see that. We had a walk on, we done a 32 kilometer walk on Sunday along the river. And yeah, there was all, all you know, lots of people are, and yeah, we had support from local politicians as well. It's been great. I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit more, um, or how much you know about about Dawn Meats. How big of a company is it? Is it safe to assume it's not locally owned? It's it, it, look. What I know about it is, you know, we're talking. It's multinational. They do. They they have several. I don't know the politically correct word for the night, but abattoirs or slaughterhouses or meat processing plants. I'm not sure what they're called, but they have several those in Ireland. Um, they're also going into property development and building houses. We have a company um, which is, you know, it's millions in profit per year that they're taking out. So it is a big company with a lot, a lot of resources <clears throat> and a lot of finances. Um, behind it, which you know, it, it's kind of difficult um, for someone like ourselves, like um, because 
we, we, we don't have that kind of resource behind us. You know, we can't go out and get get the best environmentalist to write the best environmental report for us. We don't, you know, we don't have a bit of a fundraiser. I think we we got something like a couple of grand together to kind of pay someone to, to, to do something for us, you know, so we don't have the, the same resources, but they are, you know, they're a big player in, in the meat industries. Um, and they are development. They're, they're going into property development and stuff. I think down where you live, Shannon, in Cork, where I think they're building apartments or houses or something. I'm not sure. That's true. I think, you know, and there, there's, I think just like anywhere else, I think these issues are, they're very complex because they tie into uh, infrastructure development. They tie into the housing crisis that we have here and the need to build housing and to build out more water infrastructure and all of those kinds of things. And obviously agriculture is a, is a huge part of, of the economy here. Um, and I think I want to say that something like, what is it, 90, 90 something percent of Irish exports are related to uh the, the, the cattle, they're related to the cows, the dairy, the agriculture, all of that industry around it. So, um, and, if, and if I remember correctly, Don Meats, um, I think it's owned by a couple of brothers. Um, and I think, uh, so I think 1980, I think is the, the start date on that. It's changed hands a couple of times. They had a parent company um, that also was doing business in the UK, still is doing business in the UK. And they unfortunately famously had the highest fine uh, tagged onto the UK uh, abattoir for, for uh, what I can't remember what, uh, what they were caught <laughs> doing, but they received the highest fine in the history of all fines in the UK. So they don't have the best track record. They've also had, they've been cited for things here as well. Um, so yeah, there's not a lot of confidence I guess, um, which I think is maybe true across all these industries, you know, now when we're dealing with fossil fuel conversations and, and, and climate change and all these things and the idea that the corporations are going to self-regulate or that they're going to keep uh, the people's best interests, at, you know, at heart. Um, I think it's just really hard, um, hard to really buy into that. And especially when we see things like um, when they did put public notices out, they didn't put them in the in the community newspapers, they put them in a newspaper from a different county, you know, or you know, things like that, where they're, they just don't appear to be uh, really upfront and in good faith about finding solutions. We also have, um, just to say, a lot of this is driven in terms of the water protection here. Uh, European law, there are many directives about how we're supposed to be taking care of the environment, and Ireland is part of that. And there is a water framework directive that the European Union has, has given. And it really clearly states that we have to achieve a good quality or high quality status in all of our, our water sources. Um, and it was supposed to be 2015. We sort of have this little grace period to 2027. Um, and we really legally binding as far as the EU trying to guide everybody in a sustainable direction, uh, we have to achieve this goal and we're not allowed to deteriorate our waters, which is a wonderful thing. You know, we have we have a mandate, we have guidance. Um, and so it's really sort of, um, you know, unless you're working with those agencies to make sure we're meeting those targets, which they're not quite working with the people that are in charge of making that happen. Yeah, we're not going to have faith in the process. And we're just going to have to say like, no, we don't we don't want to go forward until we're you know 
until we're no, we don't want to go forward period. There are other ways now we have new technology um, and we have new priorities and we need to maintain them. Yeah. I'm wondering if either of you have an idea of, or how you see this fitting into broader environmental issues that are happening in Ireland right now. I know that the image of Ireland abroad is of a place that is, is green and has, has environmental values and also obviously has a lot of, takes care of its um, mythological history and archaeological history. And this, this proposed plant seems to kind of go against all of that. And then at the same time, you have the recent decision on emissions targets, which were seen as, you know, seen by many as insufficient, but then by some as too restrictive. So is, could you talk a little bit about the, 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 the moment that Ireland is in with regards to climate change and environmental policies? Yeah, um, the, 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 there's I, there's actually um, a debate going on in the minute in the in the Irish Parliament. Um, <clears throat> we have a coalition government um, of of three parties, and and one of those parties is actually the Green Party. And the 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 emissions talk they were talking about um, reducing emissions, and the, the, they're looking at our. <clears throat> Our farm and the, the the cattle and stuff like that is that there's a lot of emissions that is coming from from cattle and they're trying to reduce that. I think it's by twenty eight percent for for twenty thirty. <clears throat> so there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of debate going on about it about what the targets should be and how they and what they should be, but there's not a lot of information about how we're actually going to achieve the targets. Do you know, like I, I, I can't see any, I can't see any clear pathway. It, 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 like other than we're going to reduce emissions by twenty five percent, but when it actually comes down to what are we actually going to do to achieve that, there, there doesn't seem to be any real concrete plan or way forward, and and, and I think because. In Ireland, you have so much vested interest. You know, like you do have industry, then you have the farmers, and you and you have you know you have different interests, and they're all kind of competing against each other to see who's going to take the responsibility for reducing emissions. So it can get very political and very kind of it can get into parish politics very easy. Because you know, if you're dependent on a rural, if you're dependent on a food from the countryside, you're going to kind of go with the farmers. You know, where if you're in the city, you've got a different electorate to, to, to kind of play to. With I, I, I think if someone came up to a politician came up to me actually at the walk on on Saturday, and her opinion was is that. The campaign that we're running is that she believes it's going to change the way the way that people are going to challenge the governments on environmental issues, because she she was saying, "I'm glad your your group isn't a political. It's coming from the people. It's coming from the ground up. You're getting the message out there." And she was saying that she believes that the way our organisation is developing and growing is that 
she believes that this will be probably one of the most significant changes in the way we're viewing the environment in Ireland. I hope she's right, do you know, because myself and Shannon have spoken about this and um, we even set up another Facebook page called Save Our Irish Waters because <laughs> we've only got 56 members. But we're, we're trying to kind of, and we've got the website, www.savetheboy.org. And, and we're, we're putting what we learn up there. So other environmental groups who are facing similar problems in their communities, they can go to our um, webs, website and find the documents and the, what's needed. You know, so we're trying to build a kind of a local database where communities aren't kind of scrambling for information that we have this one place we can go to. And yeah, what, what do you think, Shannon? Oh, yeah. No, you, you, no, it's great. I, I think the piece that I might bring, bring to that, that question to this part of the conversation is just thinking about, you know, all of the different people that we've had a chance to, to engage with who are protecting different rivers or different stretches of river or who are working on soil regeneration or who are working on regenerative agriculture projects. And you have these pockets of, of projects. You know, you do have people kind of uh, really doing innovative work in terms of carbon nature-based carbon capture on small scale, soil regeneration on a small scale and wanting to, um, you know, wanting to take that out to scale a little bit more. You do have a few farming initiatives where um, they, they're, they're actually starting the process of, you know, instead of penalizing the farmers and making it difficult for them to make transitions, starting to offer incentives and actually giving back, you know, paying them, you know, stipends when they, they actually, actually lower their emissions. And those small projects seem to be working well. And it is sort of in contrast to a lot of the criticism that's been coming in Ireland right now, because yes, we do, we do see this country, this is the land of the green. We are really supposed to be leaders in this area. And I think we have been at other stretches. And this moment, um, it's hard to really pin down why we've, we've gotten behind um, when we really do have the capacity to lead, um, but I suppose, um, you know, speaking with an ecologist here in Cork City, um, who's working on a smaller project similar to ours, he expressed, um, you know, and I suppose I've heard similar things along the way from other groups. There's a frustration that there is not enough infrastructure that unites all of the different groups, that you don't have a national water body that is taking in the data from all of the different systems, even though we have a, a, a river basin management plan going on, even though we have the catchments all working on these processes, um, the sustainable water network, you know, they're advocating for this. So there's just, um, there, there really is this lack of communication. And, and as I said, the gentleman in Cork, the ecologist in Cork I spoke to, he really couldn't emphasize more that the only way we're gonna achieve all these targets uh, holistically is that the water people and the agriculture people really need to be in full communication, need to be working together. To, and that includes the bogs. It includes all of these other pieces that need to be addressed. Yeah. We actually interviewed very recently Brendan Dunford, who's the director of the Burren program. And they're, you know, one of the examples of people that are organizing farmer-led initiatives where the farmers are the agents of change and the farmers get paid on a results-based scheme for making those changes to their farms and their their animal husbandry practices. And 
That was one of the things I was thinking of when I was reading the news about the debate over the agricultural emissions, because you have on the one hand, 25% was what was agreed on. And you have the farmers saying, this is impossible. It's going to ruin me. And then you have the environmentalists saying 25% is not nearly enough. And you can put yourself in each of their shoes and you can understand their perspective. But I think when you create this narrative where it's farmers versus environmentalists, then it's industry that wins out in the end. And it doesn't have to be a battle between farmers and environmentalists. There's definitely a way that people can be can work together and that you, you can actually m- make progress toward, towards your shared goals. And I would imagine that because we're talking about Dawn Meats, which is an abattoir or a slaughterhouse, just because you raise the cattle that get sent to the slaughterhouse doesn't mean that you want, as a farmer, you want their waste emptied into the river. You want your kids to go swimming in the water. So really, it sounds like a a cause that would unite so many different kinds of people. Yeah, it is. And we we, we do have like we, we do have support from the farming community. Like, you know, a, a lot of people who are raising their cattle and stuff along the point are actually members of the group as well. Which is good, you know. Sometimes, like sometimes, the arguments can get into well. If everybody was a vegetarian, you know, it wouldn't be a problem. But besides arguments like that, is like, um, yeah, the farmers are there, and and it is. It's it's kind of a lot of you know, farming is not an easy job. Like it's a hard job, and it's a full time job, and you know, the farmers are the custodians of the land as well. Do you know? And we do have a lot of support from them. So, uh, so sometimes them political debates can cause like a kind of them and us feeling about it. And it's not, you know, it's not about that. Yeah, I think it's important just to say onto that, you know, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a farming expert in any stretch of the imagination, but I, I, I definitely have gotten the sense that over the last couple of decades, there's been tremendous changes in agriculture here and farmers have been forced to adopt new models, um, which aren't always the best models for the land here and aren't always the best models for them. And they've, a lot has been asked of them. And I think it's really important for them to understand that, you know, people, just because somebody's in the environmentalist category doesn't mean that we we, we know how valuable they are. We know how valuable their views are. And we, we want them to be involved and help inform us about what are, what's needed. What do they need? You know, and then we, how do we come together and how do we, it's not sacrifice zones, you know, not sacrifice the well-being here or the well-being there, but how do we do this for the well-being of the country and for the people and for the land going forward? How do we, how do we make it work? On that note, what, what is the current status of things and what are some of the immediate next steps that you see happening and both in terms of like what's happening on the approval level and as well as how you all plan to sort of respond and, and continue to to organize on the topic? So, um, from like uh, from my perspective and from what my understanding is at the minute, we're waiting on, on board Panola, which is the Irish planning board. Um, we have we have put our submission in for Save the Point group and other, other groups have put it in. We're on board Panola are still taking observations. So you can put an observation in the onboard Panola as well. We think there's about three weeks left on that. Bring us up towards the end of August. And we are hoping 
that the public hearings will be in September, maybe October. Um, we're hoping to prepare for that. You know, we we haven't got the resources that Daw Meats have, so you know, a lot of it's going to be you know goodwill and you know commitment by people to kind of make presentations to on board Panola. We'll try and get the right people in there. If you know, if we if we can get an environmental lawyer to help us out, you know, that would be great. Or you know, you know, we're not experts in this area. You know, like it's it's not my area of expertise. So we probably will be hoping that you know we could bring those people on. If Don meets is listening to this podcast, um, if I'm bored, Panola doesn't work, we'll go to the High Court. If the High Court doesn't work, we'll go to Europe. Um, yeah. We'll just keep going and going and going. And yeah, that's where it is at the minute. Is and board Panola is the it's the only game in town at the minute, and you know, we're on for it. What do you think, Shannon? What's the way forward? I was just going to say for, for the folks who are in Ireland uh, who are listening to this, um, if you are interested in submitting an objection, please contact us through the Save the Boyne website, savetheboyne.org, and uh, we'll get you the information that you need in order to submit uh, an objection uh, in this, this two to three week window that we have left. Um, and we very much welcome uh, any anyone who wants to get involved that way. Anyone who is interested in volunteering for other kinds of walks and other events, we also welcome that too. And I suppose for the American audience, I just, you know, I suppose lift, helping us lift uh, lift this this project you know into the communication that's international obviously we have rights of nature and rights of rivers and all these international movements and it's a way that we can kind of just support each other and and share what's going on from from one location to another and uh and i've noticed we've had tremendous reach out from different from different projects and organizations already and we just continue to welcome uh that level of support and engagement well is there anything else that Either of you want to add in terms of what you think people should know about what's happening, uh, implications, or any other ways that people can help support you all? Um, God, uh, I, I suppose like you, you, you know, use our use our website. You know, go on to www.savethepoint, visit it, have a look at the documents, look, look at all the wonderful work that Sharon has done in relation to that webpage. It's you know, it's all Sharon, and um, yeah put comments up on, you know, do, do whatever you can. I, I suppose it's kind of the only thing I can say. I'm not sure, Sharon, you probably have a better idea. You have loads of ideas. No, no, no. I think, I think that's really, I think, you know, just, you know, continue to follow the process. And, and for those people who are, um, who do really have that close affinity for the river and have uh, different ways to express that, if people write pieces, um, whether it's in a more, um, you know, a more opinion sort of standpoint, or whether it's, um, you've spent time at the river and you've written a poem for it, or you have artwork that you've done for it. We're, we're collecting those pieces as well to really show the depth of connection to the river. So yeah, so you can, you can write, uh, write pieces for us and uh, both on the technical side and on the creative side. And I think we just really want to show the community around river and, and the value of all of that well, follow us on follow us on twitter as well do you know and <laughs> what's the twitter handle 
Oh, it's just save the boin. Save the boin. Yep. Okay. Easy save to remember. Save the boin everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, it, I think yeah. that really the key word is you know it's like and stay tuned because we really are in a process and um, we hope that it won't be that much longer before we'll we'll have a, a good outcome. But I, I think everyone expects this might this might go on a little while and even even once the issue around the Boyne is resolved, however long that takes to protect the river, it's it's one river and there are many rivers and there are many lakes and there are many wells and all of them need protection. And I think that that's the other part of our work, especially with moving into Save Our Irish Waters and to address it at a national level and international level is really to encourage people to get to know your local water source wherever you live. You know, go to your local well, go to your local, you know, watershed, find, find those places that you can protect where you are and then network with us, use our resources to help get you started. Um, all those kinds of things. You can do that through Save the Boyne. You can do that through Save Our Irish Waters. You can do it through the Ferry Council um, and Women of the Water, all these different things. But that's really, I think, falling back in love with the water, treating her as the sentient, beautiful being that she is, and, and show that love by, by becoming a steward of your local water source and take care of it. So Great. That sounds great. Well, very inspiring thank you both so much thank you so much hopefully we'll have you on the show again to um share Talk about the your story victory. of your victory <laughs> yes <laughs> we will thank you so much okay well great. thank you guys thank and good guys. luck and uh visit save the and we will look there for all the updates and thank you both so much Dyed Green is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Dyed Green is a project of Bog and Thunder, whose mission is to highlight the best of Irish food and culture through food tours, events, and media. Find out more at bogandthunder.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any story suggestions, questions, or things you'd like to share in response to our broadcast, you can email us directly at diedgreen at heritageradionetwork.org.